Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times. We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We are going to be talking about um, overdoses in this episode. So this week, um, Overdose Awareness Day falls in this week. So it got us thinking about some of our experiences with that and tips we can share. Um, Also, Liz went to an event specifically for this this week that she's going to talk to us about. So Liz, do you want to get us started? Sure. Um, Yeah, actually, the event was hosted by a local nonprofit group here. Um, It's called Overdose Lifeline. A mother lost her son to a heroin overdose um, when he was 20. And so this is something that out of the the tragedy and all of the heartache, um, she wanted to find a way to, you know, hopefully help prevent other families from experiencing um, something like this. So her organization was instrumental in getting um, Narcan um, in the hands of first responders and police officers in our state. Um, And we can talk about Narcan, I guess, a little bit more, but um, Narcan is a tool that helps to reverse the effects of opiates and uh, can be life-saving. So we um, went to an event that they hosted last night. It's kind of interesting, the, the connection here. Um, so Jake overdosed almost a year ago now and was saved by Narcan. And as part of his amends to his sister, she wanted him to donate um, money to a, a nonprofit that works in recovery. And so he thought like, oh, I should donate to Overdose Lifeline, you know, kind of goes full circle because they provide Narcan, all of this. And so in the process, he um, has started volunteering with them. And so then the um, founder told him about their event and was like, oh, you should come to to our dinner. So we went there last night um, and the event is primarily um, targeted at families who have lost loved ones. And so it's an opportunity to celebrate like they they had a wall of all the loved ones pictures and you could put up a sign with their names and they had um, various speakers. uh, And then they also gave awards out to people who have um, are making an impact in the substance use disorder and recovery world. So um, like a medical doctor received an award, um, some normal people who are just helping and volunteering and whatever. So it was pretty cool. And and then at the end, everyone went outside and they did like a candlelight ceremony and they had the opportunity for anyone who wanted to, to go up to the mic and say the name of their loved one who they lost and any other words that they wanted to say. And Oh my gosh, it was very emotional. I was just crying and, Oh, it's just the, like the strength you see in the, the family members who, you know, are getting up 
every day and going about their lives and, you know, trying to remember their loved ones. And, and it was most, everybody I think said like their, their person's name and like the age that they were. And it really hit me like how many young people, like 25 was a reoccurring age, 23, 21, 27, like, yeah, it, it was emotional. I bet. So how did Jake feel listening to all that? Him being the addict, him overdosing? Um, when we left, he was like, man, that was heavy. He was like, I was, I just kept thinking about like my family, um, or you being there and being the one like saying my name or he was like, it just, it was was very emotional. So yeah, he was like, you know, then later on in the night, he was like, I'm really glad I didn't die. I'm glad I'm here. I was like, I'm glad you didn't die either. And I'm also glad you're here. So that's good. Yeah. There was strange. Oh, go ahead. Oh, there were like two that really bought one. Um, somebody's loved one passed away from, they said a fentanyl overdose. They got hair, thought they were getting heroin. It was a fentanyl overdose. And the date was September 28th of last year which was 11 days after Jake's overdose from the same thing. So that was really um, hit close to home. And then the other like scary thing was um, someone was saying that their son had been in recovery for six years and then went out. And so that made me feel scared sad like yeah ugh, all of the feelings I hate remembering I mean I obviously remember a lot but I hate it when I like it really hits me that you know this never goes away yeah it's <laughs> you like, know it's like no, moments like that in the back of your head like but then to have such a visual reminder and like yeah yeah yeah, I agree. I, I know a woman who, two young children, husband was in recovery for 10 years, um, just died. Um, and he had been in recovery for 10 years. One use. And That's it was scary. like, no, oh, that could be me. Sweet. Yeah. Well, it's the fentanyl thing that's super scary, you know? Like, that's Charlie's last um, relapse was, I mean, the last two times has been like, again, being similar thing, being clean for a period of time and then using and thinking you had heroin and then you end up with something way stronger. And it's just like, there's nothing you can do after that. Like, there's just, I mean, it's just so scary. I know. That's why I'm so thankful that, you know, there are things like Narcan and that people can carry it and have it. And I mean, of course, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will be okay and people have to be in the right place at the right time, but it's just like everybody deserves a second chance. And so like being able to give people who overdose that second chance, like is important. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so let's start with maybe helping people like what is naloxone, um, like what it is. So we've got like a little kind of blurb about what it is. Naloxone is a medication designed to rapidly reverse opioid overdose. It is an opioid antagonist, meaning that it binds to an opioid receptor and can reverse and block the effects of other opioids. It can quickly restore normal respiration to a person whose breathing has shallowed or stopped as a result of overdosing with heroin or prescription opioid pain medications. Yeah. 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 I mentioned narcan earlier which is a a name brand of naloxone so Mm -hmm. same thing and it comes in like different forms so you can get um there's like a nasal spray that you can use um there's an auto inject like intermuscular like uh, thing that you put in someone's thigh um and then there's also just the, the traditional like syringe intermuscular um, administration that you can do as well. I think the ones I've had are the nasal ones and the auto inject. Those are the two I've had in the past. Um, but we I remember to- in our family support group one time, I think they brought the like auto inject. I remember learning about that, but the only one that I've ever had in my possession is like the nasal. Um, but I've never actually had to use it the times that Jake has overdosed, I have not been around. So I don't, I can't remember Alex, like, have you, you've actually used it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've used it twice, I think. Um, one... And how does that process work then? So I had, I have the auto and inj- well, I have both, but what I used was the auto inject. Um, and so it comes in like this box and it's like a, they're plastic, um, they're like plastic rectangles that you take a bottom off that exposes the needle um, that actually like administers the medication. So anyways, in this box, there are three cartridges and the first one is a trainer. So you can keep using it. Like, so before you ever actually need the real thing, you can practice with the trainer cartridge. And basically once you take the bottom cap off to expose like the medicine, it starts yelling at you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like it sh- it basically in a loud like uh a loud like recording it's telling you how to administer the drug um and so you can practice with that one but basically you take that plastic cap off that's covering the needle and then you just put the cartridge on their thigh and you push it in and it injects the medicine and then it comes with two doses so if that's like I think we were saying before the the first dose it doesn't last very long so it's enough to kind of shock them and and make that reversal start happening but it it lasts just enough time for you to basically get help um so the second dose then you could use um so yeah I mean I I did it uh one time the most recent overdose I mean I don't even know if it was an overdose to me it was I was an it was an uncomfortable uh I was not comfortable with the way he looked and but he was awake and conscious and usually you don't narcan people that are conscious um but he didn't look I mean it was scaring me the way he looked and so before I called 911 I gave him that and um I mean he was so kind of he was awake and like like sort of communicating with me but 
so out of it that he couldn't even stop me from doing it. So that's why I was like, this is not something I'm comfortable with. So I did that. And then I called 911. I actually didn't have to use it a second time. But one of the the things I look back on that was like really frustrating was the whole time, like I had taken that plastic thing off and used it. And then the whole time, like the 911, that people were the first responders were there. It was in the background, like shouting the <laughs> instructions <laughs> over and over and over again. And after everyone left, it was still doing that. And I just could not figure out how to make it stop. But that's one. Would you end weird. up smashing it? No, you you basically just put the cat back on, but I didn't. Oh. It took me. I was so like kind of shaken. Well, you were up. a little preoccupied. Yeah, <laughs> and I was just a little shaken up, and I didn't really know. But so it took me. It was very frustrating in the moment. But yeah, so that's that's what you do, and then um, you know, I have never done it. He's I've never found him unconscious or anything. So it's always been like, oh, this is not going in a direction I mean he looked like blue like he was obviously losing oxygen like I could tell that and so and that's the thing that scares me the most about the overdose like I mean obviously the part that he could die you could die from it but you can become you can survive and like be brain dead because your brain didn't get oxygen for a certain amount of time so that's the part that kind of scares me the most is um, so I saw him kind of get like he looked a little gray, and so I gave it to him to kind of start that process. But yeah, um, made me think of two things. One, and just wanted to like reiterate the fact that you know you called nine one one. Yes, that is an important part. No matter like if you're using whatever version of this you're using, like you're supposed to call help. Um, so yeah. I- and another time I okay, this I don't know if I even told you guys this. So I worked downtown um uh at like a local business a few years ago that was near a men's shelter. And there was a homeless man on the sidewalk outside of our um my work. We had like full length windows, and so we just saw this guy and I knew what an overdose looked like and he was overdosing so we called 911 but they were taking forever and I had the nasal spray in my um car and I gave it to this guy's whoever that was with this guy I don't know if it was a friend or to someone but I gave it to them and they used it on him I didn't actually administer it but so I did see uh that as well but like the ambulance was taking forever and he'd been on the ground like he was unconscious for a while so yeah but I've never actually administered the nasal one myself yeah and then the other thing I was gonna say was just um as you were saying like another result of overdose could be like brain damage or, or whatever. Um, before I knew anything about addiction and recovery, whenever I heard the term overdose, I just thought that meant like, Oh, like somebody died, like they overdosed and died. Mm -hmm. And then I remember learning like that it doesn't always mean that you die. Like, um, cause I do know that there were times in the past, um, like where Jake, said like oh yeah like I OD'd and I'm like what do you mean you OD'd you're like alive though and he was like you know you just lose consciousness for however long like he said the one that like really scared him was he remembers like using in a bathroom 
this was like in an old, old house. And I was gone like on vacation or something with my family. And he said, the next thing he knows, he like woke up like laying on his back in the kitchen. And it was like hours later. And he had no recollection of like going from the bathroom to the kitchen and doesn't know how long he was like in or out. And yeah, just scary. Yeah, Charlie's only been unconscious twice, and I did not find him those times. So he, those were both times that he um, was basically, like, something happened. He was living at, like, a halfway house both of those times, and something happened. And um, he, well, one of them was a halfway house, and then one was, like, a time where he, at the very beginning of recovery, when he was like, I can't do this, I'm just going to use drugs that lasted for three days and ended in an overdose where he was like driving in his car and like at a stop sign kind of passed out at a stop sign. Um, and then the second time also in his car, he'd like gotten kicked out of his halfway house or something and was found in his car by, I don't know who, like the, co- the cops, like he ended up in jail both times. So the cops were involved, but I'm not sure who found him or who called or whatever, but yeah. Um, yeah. So where, so were those, both cases than where he kind of just came to on his own at some point like narcan or like a reversal drug wasn't involved no he was he's been narcan um so he's been narcan three times and then found by other people and then once by me but the sort of the two car incidents and then one in a steak and shake um I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys remember that, but he was, yeah, it was like a steak and shake and like, um, he didn't end up going to jail that time. It was like the, whoever was working there called and like, I guess he like passed out at his table or something and they, he got Narcan and then went to the hospital, but didn't get, they didn't take him to jail. He didn't actually have drugs on him. So they just treated him for like the medical thing. But yeah, so so at least four that I know of, and that's in the eight years that we've been together, nine years, something like that. So it's a lot. Yeah. I feel like it's a lot of chances to take, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's kind of scary. That's a lot of times that it went your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I do want to say too, if somebody has the Narcan or if you're unsure if somebody is overdosing, like you can give them the, naloxone and it doesn't hurt them so like mm-hmm. i think that's a, something that always was in my mind like oh my god if i give it to somebody who i think is overdosing but they're not mm-hmm. like it doesn't hurt them so if they don't have the opiates in their system yeah maybe they really are unconscious for some other reason but if you give it to them it's okay that's like you're not gonna point. harm them in any way. yeah right and they're not gonna yeah. necessarily tell you i mean even like the most recent time with charlie like he was denying that he had used anything even when the even when the ambulance arrived i mean it was just like i mean it was so obvious that he was but they're not going to tell you in those situations most times they're not going to tell you what they've used um or even that they they're not going to necessarily admit it so there's actually this website that might have a good resource it's called overdoselifeline.org but they have a um, a layperson course on how to recognize uh, signs of overdose and also how to administer naloxone. Um, so that could be helpful 
too if you're concerned or want to feel prepared for something like that but yes yeah yeah you don't always know and so yeah I mean better safe than sorry well, and I mean in most cases they are most likely unconscious or not talking right. so you wouldn't really it's be true. able to ask them anyway That's very true yeah right. very very true so yeah it's scary stuff man it is um, yeah so do you guys want to talk about then the, so the Narcan or Naloxone, that's what we use if someone has overdosed and you need to revive them, um, like help them come to. But there are two other, well, there's really one other drug in two forms that can be used to prevent overdose and prevent using in general, like people getting high if they relapse. Um Vivitrol and naltrexone yeah so those we've talked about I think I mean a few times on our episodes uh throughout the podcast but um those are more preventative so they help prevent overdose like we were saying a lot of times people in recovery you know they don't really intend to go out and overdose you know relapses happen sometimes but with a drug like heroin then sometimes fentanyl if you don't know what you're getting um one use could you know be the last one so um these drugs help prevent someone you know from getting high at all so they block those opioid receptors altogether so if they do relapse it's not you know a life-threatening event you know hopefully it's something that they can work through and give them gives them that second chance a little bit preventatively mm-hmm. um so yeah we can talk about those as well yeah those are helpful in general yeah. would you say that like most people using those are like attempting to be like be clean or be in recovery yeah also right. i would say yes uh, mostly but that reminded me that there's another drug called suboxone and so that one is different um, but you asking me that made me rem- reminded me that sometimes if you're, you, you can abuse suboxone. So, um, that's another important thing to know as well. So the difference between Vivitrol and naltrexone, um, and suboxone is that, um, the Vivitrol doesn't give you, doesn't give you an, any sort of high. You're not getting any opioids in that process. And then with Suboxone, you are getting like a small dose of the opioid to help wean you off of the drug. So those can be abused and have a street value. Um, so they can be traded and things like that. So to answer your question, I think that depending on what you pick, as your tool to help you get clean. Um, yeah, I mean, you could take advantage of some of them, but I think if you're on Vivitrol, that's a 30, that's a shot that you get that lasts 30 days. Um, I mean, that's at least a, a commitment to being clean for 30 days because you can't get high um, with opioids at least. So yeah, yeah, I think it takes some level of commitment to to get on a drug like that. Well, and I think too, Steve, um, he used Suboxone, but he used to buy it on the street. If he couldn't find heroin, he was buying Suboxone because it also staves off uh, your withdrawal symptom. Right. He was so afraid of withdrawals. So he would get the Suboxone not to get high, but just to not go into withdrawals from not having the heroin. Yeah. 
Um, so, and all of yeah. those things that we've named, like the Vivitrol, Suboxone, um, they all fall under like this umbrella term of medication assisted treatment. So like MAT, uh, you might hear that sometimes. Um, and that's what it's referring to is like those, those medications that are helping people in their treatment journey and things. So, yeah, totally. So let's talk about, oh, overdoses. You know, are we going to go more into medication? Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the overdoses. Like in the couple that you guys have seen, like what were your feelings or do you know your partner's feelings? Because, I, I mean, I talked to Steve about this before we started recording. It was just interesting. Mm. So I haven't actually seen them. You haven't? No, because... So the one that I just mentioned where he said he was, like, in the bathroom in the kitchen, like, I was out of town. That was before, like, mm. full-time lived together also. And so... That was before I even knew there was a heroin problem. In mm. the, um, and so it came out after the fact, after he went through to the treatment for the first time and we were talking about overdoses, he mentioned that. And it was like, what? Like, I had no idea. And then that was very scary because I was thinking, what it, like, that could have, I could have come home from vacation and just like walked in and like found him. And yeah, so that freaked me out and then makes me like kind of angry of like you know like putting us in that position that we could potentially have that like traumatic event um so I guess yeah. there's feelings around there and then the other one was when um we were living separately he was at the halfway house and I I mean, I can vividly remember everything that was happening. Like I came out of a workout class to like several missed calls from his dad and his sister. And so I immediately like felt like my heart, like just start racing. Cause I was like, something is not right. And then there was a text from him that was the letters were kind of jumbly. And it was just like, I'm so sorry, Liz, I fucked up. I'm sorry. I fucked up going to hospital. So then I immediately, like, I just, like, knew right then, like, what it was. I called his dad, and I just remember, like, standing outside of the workout place. Like, it was in a moment where you kind of forget people are around you, but I know that people were. And I just remember being, like, what's happening? Like, crying, kind of, like, just that, like, very panicky, like, high-pitched voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and his dad being like, I was able to get a hold of him. He was, he was conscious, like he's on the way to the hospital. And so then that's when I went to the hospital, but I didn't see him for days later because then he went to jail and I didn't see him. So it was just, that was, I guess the most, most panicked and fearful experience that I've had, like with the closest to where I thought like, oh, he's actually like dying or is going to die or I mean in the time I was afraid that I was going to call his dad and they were going to be like oh he actually did die I didn't know what the answer was going to be when I got on the phone so right well and I think you called me that evening kind of going over this whole thing and I think you know I it's so helpful to have friends who are in this Mm -hmm. addiction circle because you know Steve, though, did a whole bunch and the hospital and 
I mean, Alex, you've called hospitals trying to find your husband before. I mean, mm-hmm. typically that's not something that you hear wives doing. And so I think it was very helpful to yeah. just, mm-hmm. hopefully you can find a tribe like this. That's true. Cause yeah. that was the other part is like, I didn't for sure have information that he was at the hospital because it was part of, because yeah, they people were involved, like they can't they tell you if they had him or not and so then it's just like all these questions of like what is actually happening um and so I think I remember like you know talking to one of you and being like well you know if he it was in police custody and they got him to the hospital and the Narcan like you know he was in route like he is probably okay because I, I just remember being like well, what if he's dead and I don't even know mm-hmm. um yeah so just having that like being able to talk you down a little yeah. bit like from experience. Yeah. I mean, I have, I mean, I don't know if you want to go next, Elise, but I think ours, our situations are even different because you didn't necessarily know what was happening at the time. Um, no, I didn't. I have a lot of, uh, this is not fun to think back on, but I have a lot of experiences with these. So um there are three experiences where they didn't happen around me and I found out either from a call like from him calling me from an ambulance or a call from jail or um one time so I honestly the first time was like the first year and I haven't even talked about this one but the the first year we were even together, we had just gotten engaged and we decided when we got engaged that we were going to do like couples counseling, like to get like, because we'd only been together six months and it was obvious that there was like stuff we really <laughs> needed to like work on. We didn't know what we were doing. So like, we kind of need an adult to help us. because We don't know what the hell. <laughs> and, um, so we had, I remember it was, we just moved in together we had gotten engaged. It was a night that we were going to, our first night at, no, it wasn't our first night. It was like our second or third uh, couples counseling session. It was after work. We were going to meet at our apartment and drive together. And he never showed up. And I was like, what is going on? So I was calling him, calling him, calling him. And I just remember like being so afraid because I knew that he had, previously had a drug problem but it hadn't really the light hadn't really been like I didn't think it was currently happening and so this was the first time that it was like in our relationship like this is happening so I mean I didn't know that I mean I assume so I'm calling no answer calling no answer um I mean I think I did that for like an hour and I just kept like I was crying I was emotional I was like thinking like he's dead you know like he's dead and I didn't know where he was I couldn't go find him I had no idea and I also wasn't even really thinking about that I just kept calling and like literally like sitting by the window like where I could see if he was pulling in or not Mm -hmm. um just waiting for him and so it was like a couple of hours and he like used in his car and um passed out in his car and so when he woke up 
he called me and told me what happened sort of I don't remember now this is like eight years ago but um I think he may have told me over the phone I don't really know but all I know is like the next thing I remember is he was home but he was like clearly high and it was my first experience with seeing anyone high like outside of just like marijuana like I had no idea and he was like nodding off and stuff and I just remember being so scared like what's gonna happen like is he I remember like staying awake and like watching him breathe because like what like is he going to be fine like I have no idea what's gonna happen and so um yeah that was my very first experience I had I was just like so upset obviously and I just did not know what to expect I had no idea of what to do and so I literally just like watched him breathe all night while he slept and I I remember him being like really upset and like sad but also like out of it enough that like it's like he didn't even care like he couldn't be in the moment because he was high so um that was super frustrating like he wanted to like go get food and I was like Like everything's normal what is happening you know and I just remember going to Wendy's because it was like super late and (laughs) we needed to eat and I was like I was crying and like all kinds of stuff like yelling and like we were sort of talking about it but not making any progress really and this is also way before like any couples counseling any therapy like our communication was not good like it was just like a mess and um yeah I just remember that and like we went to Wendy's and like I just remember not being able to sleep um that whole that's always was my fear of like okay but if I go to sleep what if he's not like what if he stops breathing mm-hmm. so that was the very first time um there were no like huge consequences like externally from that I mean we postponed our wedding <laughs> and stuff and he went to like that was the first time he said that he went to treatment um he did that at the VA and went in for that. But so that's the very first overdose. And then it wasn't, I mean, the other few times between um, that and the stuff that happened recently was he was like, he, he would been in recovery and um, it was kind of like really frustrated one time. He was like very frustrated with me. I was like, I just want, I can't, I, I implemented like a contract with which I think we've talked about and I was like you haven't been to your meetings and I was holding him accountable to the things in the contract and he wasn't ready for that and he was like well I don't I can't do any of this stuff that you're asking me so I'm just gonna go use like I choose using drugs like that's gonna be my life and so he he did and he was gone for like two and a half days and then um that's the time that he was like found in a in his car and he called me from jail so there was that one and then um there was one time it was a few years ago when he I didn't know that he had right he was at a recovery house and um so he had he had relapsed in, in like the month or so before this overdose But I didn't, he, like, I made him move out. Like, that was one of the things. And so he moved into a halfway house and must have, like, relapsed or they found 
he violated some rule of the halfway house and he got they asked him to leave and it was like in the middle it was like at night when they do like their night checks and so instead of coming to my home he was like oh well I can't go home to her and like face this so he got high and also got very drunk like he never drinks he drank like I don't even know the size what's the small size of alcohol (laughs) Okay. yeah no like yeah it was like a pint of vodka and um he, so he did that and he was like in a parking lot cvs where he bought that and someone found him in the car he was like passed out i don't know if that was like an overdose from the drugs or alcohol but he was like very very intoxicated one way or the other and um that he went to jail um but that time i didn't know all that happened and he like got sent to the hospital first and um so I, I had no idea he got he had gotten kicked out of the halfway house this all happened in the middle of the night also in the middle like early morning they found him they took him to a hospital and treated him for three days and so when they're in custody at the hospital they're technically under arrest so they cannot like the hospital can't tell you if the person that you're looking for is there so we were calling so basically i ended up filing a missing person missing persons report and um and like waited to hear and there's the the officer that came to like take the missing person report was like well ma'am we don't typically do these for adults i mean they have the option of not coming here and i was like i'm not really telling you that he needs to become come back here i'm telling you that you need to be looking for a body in this car like that's what like that's and he was like oh okay and so, I mean, it was, I mean, I didn't know what was going on, but I had, I was assuming that that's what happened. And um, luckily that's not, but so like the next day, the detective was able to call me and verify that he had been in the hospital. So then like three days later, he calls me from jail. Um, so what was that, um, an, that conversation like? Oh, dude, I don't know. I mean, he, so by that time, I mean, this is what, this is probably three going on four years ago from now. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, by that point, I mean, what we were four and a half, almost five years into this whole thing. And I was way less emotional than like the first time. So it's like you kind of, and it's a sad reality, but you kind of get used to like, the pattern of the relapse you know it's like okay it happens well I'm not I'm not getting emotionally invested because I've done that over and over you know and so it's like okay so I mean he was very he was crying um I mean I think that was the time when he really thought he was going to die um he was in the hospital for a long time like he he wasn't well (laughs) and so I think that one really uh hit home for him and he was just crying a lot and you know I was just like so mad because it'd been four days that I I didn't really say much um you know and I just listened to him and then we got off the phone and he called me every day while he was there and then you know it was just I just basically was like okay 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 none of that matters until you start doing the right stuff like by that point I had gotten I like understood that while I appreciate that you're upset and I am sorry that you're struggling, um, none of this matters to me. Yeah. So, you Worth know, enough. you can't, what do I do with that? So, 
it was a lot easier once I knew he was okay then it was like okay fine I don't have to worry about this nonsense he's in a safe place and honestly at that point which is sad again but you're kind of relieved that they're in jail like yeah it's like the best thing (laughs) at that point like you need a hard wake-up call yep um that that reminded me of a, a feeling that I had during this I think it was just shock because I remember up until that point um, of that night of the overdose, I thought that he was doing well because he had been, he had moved into a halfway house in August and we were still in communication and he was going to meetings and he was like telling me about stuff at the house. And so I was under the impression like, Hey, like he's on the right path. Things are getting better. And it was, so that was like blindsiding also because it was then trying to reconcile with the fact of like, Oh, that, so that was part of it where, Oh, I totally forgot. I had thought he had gotten Vivitrol. So I kept being like, Mm. I don't know how this is. How did he overdose? Like, I know he got Vivitrol come to find out he did not go to that appointment and had lied about it. Um, So there was just a lot of confusion on trying to be like, well, what really happened? Because how could he have overdosed if it was, if he was on Vivitrol, like, is it something else? Or if he wasn't on Vivitrol, like how long has he been using? And so that kind of like complicated all of the feelings as well. And that's been true for me too. Every time it kind of, I'm always like two months behind, like by the time I'm finding out about a relapse or something's happening, this has been happening festering in some way for the previous couple of months um so i feel like i'm playing catch up because to me everything's been fine you've been going to meetings you've been doing what you're supposed to be doing and then all of a sudden this big thing happens and i'm like wait what when did that happen because it's just like and that that's hard from a relationship perspective because i feel like he's like leading two separate lives (laughs) It's like really hard from the trust component of it. Like, I don't know if I'm living in reality or not. And like when I'm going to find out that all of this has been like different, like you've been living this separate life these couple of months. So that was really hard. That was um, a big blow because for that like July, August period, I really like wasn't. I had said, like, I'm not initiating contact, like, I will answer phone calls or talk to him if he calls. But I was trying to be, like, distant a little bit. And then once he was in that recovery house, and it seemed like he was doing well in August, I remember it was, like, had just been the week before, like, after talking to my therapist, it was like, I'm really in this place of limbo. If I'm wanting to, like, try and work on the relationship, then we need to actually be, like, communicating And so I had said, like, okay, I'm going to make an effort too. like, I'm not just going to put all of this on you, like, I will call or reach out as well. And that night before I went to my workout class, I had just thought like, okay, well, you know what, like, I'm going to be the, the first one to call and just check in and say like, hey, I'm thinking about you and um, called and he didn't answer. And I remember like, feeling like, man, something is, this is not good. But then I was trying to like work on myself of like, 
oh, you don't always have to jump to the like bad conclusion. Just go do the next thing you were going to do, which is go to your workout class. And then I came out of it and I was like, I knew it. And what was funny is later on, like, I think seeing like the police report or something, like I called him at like 7.05 and the ambulance or something like picked him up at like 7.10. So it was like right in that same window that these things were happening. And that just like felt kind of eerie. Like, oh, is there like some sense that. I feel like that. I've had that intuition where it's like, I don't know what it is, but I, it's like, I feel, I know the feeling, like I'll feel really sick. Like my stomach will hurt. I don't know. I can just, and then something happens. But so really quick, there were two other times that happened in our home. And I bring these up because they were much different in the experience because I had to deal with it. So the, the previous ones were like, I was finding out, you know, at the end when it was kind of resolved, really, like the actual overdose part. Um, but again, he'd been in recovery and this both happened over holidays. And um, I thought everything was fine. And I like the first time was like a few years ago on Christmas Eve. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I heard a loud noise in the bathroom. He was taking a shower. We're like getting ready to have like 20 people at our house and finding him in the bathroom and like calling the ambulance and that whole thing, like having them come into our house. And like that whole thing was a way different experience. I felt more like, scared and honestly I feel like traumatized I, I think we're going to try to talk about this in the future like on other upcoming podcasts but felt super traumatized with happening mm-hmm. in our home and with like in our bathroom like just something as simple as like taking a shower is now a thing like it's still a trigger because today um even and he's been doing great and everything's been fine but he left to like run an errand and when he got home he was like I'm gonna take a shower and okay fine but like in like five minutes I'm like well why did he go right into the shower yeah this is like three years ago and and I went in there and I was like I have to pee (laughs) he's like wait are you are you worried because I came straight into the shower and I was like yeah and he, he opened the shower and he's like I'm fine look I'm sorry I didn't even think about it like I haven't taken a shower in three days <laughs> and the baby had like yeah. just gone down so I mean it, but it's still something that I think about and even tonight I was like okay but I still need you to take a drug test because I just need to know yeah. and so I mean I'm still dealing with that you know, after, after that. And so I don't know, I think it's a process, but the ones that have happened where I have been like involved and I have felt like the fear or like seen the reality of like, this is serious, you know, it's kind Mm -hmm. of, I mean, you can obviously imagine, like you hear about the circumstance, you read the police report, you hear what they tell you, but to, to witness it and to like, have to deal with it has been different and like harder on me than anything that's happened away from me. Yeah. So, that may segue right into you, Elise. <laughs> Why? Yeah, I mean, because she's she found she had to do oh, that a lot. Oh, Elise. I thought you said Liz. I was like, huh? oh, no, Elise. Sorry. Elise, yes. 
Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, Steve overdosed all the time, but that, like, like you had said earlier, I didn't, we both probably didn't know that it was an overdose. Mm-hmm. And probably, you know, our most dramatic one was I was supposed to, um, I'm in the event industry and I got done with work and I was supposed to go, um, there was like a really crazy, fun, big party um, that we were trying to plan. And I was so excited uh, to do it. And then I was supposed to go to somebody's house to plan it after work. And it was a whole group of people. And I thought, man, something feels weird. And I had just enough time after work to go home, see what Steve was doing because he never picked up the phone after work and then get to the party or get to the party part. And I get home and he's foaming from the nose and mouth. It was down past his shoulders. Um, he was a totally different color. He wasn't, I'd say his name and he'd like gurgle a bit. Um, and so, you know, called 911 and, you know, all of that went down. And then he was in the hospital for three days, like in the ICU. He was on some BiPAP machine, and all that kind of stuff. Gosh. It was just, it was crazy. Um, but I, I'll say that while, while I just don't even know if I have feelings towards that only because I was so numb at that point, because I think I've shared that he was blue almost every night I came home. And so I'd go up, get a CPAP machine from our bedroom, take it downstairs, put the CPAP on him if he didn't fight me over it. And I would just sit next to him and just make sure that it was making him breathe. I mean, that CPAP machine saved his life for sure. Mm. You know, just the amount of times that he overdosed, you know, I think he told me is that if he ever heard that a drug dealer had a stash that killed somebody, that was the dealer he was going to go get the drugs from because he would not overdose. Like, like he, that just wouldn't happen to him. Right there mm-hmm. He would be a really good high. And so, you know, I was asking him before, you know, we recorded, like, did you ever think you were going to overdose? Like, what was that feeling the next morning? And he was like, you know, that never it never crossed my mind. The first thought and the only thought is I'm going to get high. If you and I were in a fight, I'll deal with it after I get high. If, you know, if I, you know, I'm in the hospital or whatever, he was like, I had to get high first. And so they don't even think about it. I mean, they're slowly killing themselves every day and every, you know, shot, every hit, every snort, um, yeah, could be their last, but they don't even care. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I feel like, Jake said something one time where he's like, you almost can't let yourself think about it either because like, you know, that it's a possibility, but like, that's, it's not going to stop you from doing it because Mm -hmm. you need the drugs so badly. So you kind of just like have to like block that out of your mind and just ignore it. So, yeah, I think he didn't care. I mean, Steve didn't care. I mean, the the day we got out of the hospital, he went and got drugs. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, Charlie, I mean, the his own overdoses have rarely impacted him, like, as far as can, thinking that, oh, I almost died. I mean, there have been a couple of times where he's reflected and really been scared by it. I mean, he associates overdoses with dying now, but that took a lot of clean time in between. Um, but 
I think it's interesting, like, he's more impacted when his friends die. And that has really hit home with him. Like, he's had a couple of really good friends pass from overdoses after significant amounts of clean time. And those are the times when he's like, this could have been me. And that's when he kind of pieces it together. It's very rarely after the overdose or because I think at that point, he's still like in that addict mindset. It's really hard to think about that. But yeah, so it's been when he's been, you know, clean and someone he's very close with has passed away suddenly um those are the times when he's like very scared by it so yeah um similar for jake i would say i feel like when he actually od'd i think he was a little like shooken up like just like Mm -hmm. oh man but like didn't really like process that i'm using so long at that point and just need more like i think it was after the fact like once he got clean and then like looking back on it like where it you know registered on like how scary it is and then also um a couple months later when he was back at a halfway house one of the guys in the halfway house had to be narcan and he said that like freaked him out more than like his own overdose because he like saw it all happening and saw the guy kind of like blue and how they hit him and brought him back to life and like that was more jarring for him than like himself yeah i mean they aren't aware you know it's like how can you really even know i mean people can tell you what happened but they rarely remember they have no idea and also like the feeling that they feel high like that is a positive feeling so i mean it's it's really it's the consequences afterwards that like that negative stuff sets in but in the moment like they most likely feel good (laughs) and it's hard to like to put that together afterwards I think at least it has been for Charlie so it's the consequences afterwards that are like oh okay that those hurt more um in those moments it takes a lot of time I think for him to like look back and be like yeah I almost died so yeah that reminds me one of the times we were talking to the guys I can't remember which one said it but they were like you know, after the overdose, you, there then are so many other consequences that that then kind of fuels the like, oh my God, like I can't even deal with this. Like, and you feel so like shameful and shitty that like, then it just adds to wanting to go use again. Whereas like, you know, I think as normal people were like, why would you immediately go use after almost dying? Like, shouldn't that near death experience be enough to stop you? And it actually just compounds like all of the overwhelming negative feelings and it just is another reason of like well might as well go use again Mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting perspective that is interesting I mean their brains are like not working right you know like that's that's the point it's like they're not thinking rationally they're just surviving one minute to the next and there is no ability to like reflect or put cause and effect together or anything I mean that's just not happening it's like a very one way train of thought and it's how do I feel better right now and that's it yeah yeah totally Mm -hmm. man heavy yeah yeah so I mean I think we covered a lot tonight as always and I think you know our hearts go out to those who have 
died and passed away from overdoses and the families who are experiencing that. I mean, our hearts go out to you. Yeah. Um, so thank you again for tuning into boy problems podcast. Um, we love hearing your stories. Please reach out. Um, you know, if, you know, we just love growing this tribe and uh, want you to be our friend. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for tuning into boy problems podcast. Uh, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com and keep coming back. Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com. <laughs>